Hi, I'm Claire Riley and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead, and I felt really alone. So here it is, the second season of MS Understood, conversations with experts on multiple sclerosis, people either living with this incurable disease or professionals who can support those of us living with MS. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me on Instagram at claire.riley. And before we get started, I would like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is unceded Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The habits that I did put into motion because I did them so slowly really had a chance to take hold Mm -hmm. and I had an opportunity to learn what part of those habits were helpful and which parts didn't really matter and why they were important and consider other things versus, you know, when you go all in quickly for a short amount of time, you know, it's just going to go away and then you're going to have to do it again later. Today we chat with Courtney from Be More With Less or you might have heard of Project 333 or even her book Soulful Simplicity. She shares about how after working in a high-powered, incredibly busy job, Courtney noticed she had developed vertigo and was struggling to walk in a straight line. After her diagnosis, Courtney focused on simplifying and being less stressed by one habit at a time. The thread of simple and stress-free is so strong throughout Courtney's life and this chat. We talk about the line in the sand, the before and after that comes with a chronic illness diagnosis and how it often feels super self-indulgent to really take time to care for ourselves without a life-changing diagnosis. As I said, Courtney's beautiful book, Soulful Simplicity, inspired me to create more physical space in my home to create more emotional and mental space. There are so many great tidbits throughout this interview. I really hope you'll find something to take from this episode. And don't forget that you can find me on Instagram at Claire.Riley. And to find Courtney, check out the links in the show notes. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us on the MS Understood podcast today. How are you? I'm great. And I'm excited to be here and talk to you. Oh, I'm so glad. I love what you're sharing with the world. And um, yeah, just honored you've got some time to um, share your story happy to. Um, So I love to start every episode with a diagnosis story. So would you mind sharing yours with us? Of course. Wow. It's been a long time since I have shared this story, but I have shared it a lot. So I think I remember it all. (laughs) Uh, If we can go back all the way to 2006, I was working in advertising sales for luxury magazines And my boss at the time had MS and I was training for the MS 150, which is a cycling event here in Salt Lake city, Utah, where I live. And I was really doing it to raise funds for MS research and to ride for him where he couldn't, he had been in a wheelchair for many years. And I, I, I don't know. I just felt called to do that. And I was training for this ride in the midst of a lot of deadlines, a really busy, stressful life, 
uh, one that I thought everybody had. And I think a lot of people did actually around me. So it felt normal, but in hindsight, it was really crushing. I mean, just so much to do all the time. And in the midst of all of that, I was doing some traveling as well. And I had vertigo and I had had vertigo before, so I wasn't too worried. I figured it was some kind of ear infection, but it was like, hold on to the walls kind of vertigo. So I was really struggling to keep up with my hectic lifestyle. And I went to the doctor, he confirmed probably something in the ear. And we went from there and the symptoms started to build. And so I started to have some numbness in my face tingling in my hands. Um, I was exhausted, like more than my normal exhaustion. And he suggested I speak with a neurologist, which I did. And we did a lot of tests. And that was, that all kind of started in the spring of that year. And by the summer I had missed that MS ride because I could barely walk a straight line, let alone get on a bike and was diagnosed with MS myself. Mm. It sounds like it was a, a, a little bit of time between the initial um, vertigo and then that diagnosis. Yeah, it took probably probably three or four months in total with all of the testing uh, to come up with that diagnosis. But really, it took years because mm. all of those symptoms that I had, I had experienced before, but they were not all together. And so they were easily explained like, Oh, I must've pinched a nerve in my sleep, or mm-hmm. of course I'm exhausted. Look at my workload yeah. or whatever it was. I could easily make it be something else. MS never crossed my mind mm-hmm. uh, when those symptoms were happening. And so it was only when they were all together and we started to look into it more closely that it was pretty clear. Yeah. I was listening to something yesterday and it said almost the exact same thing of like, um, thinking of them all individually and then realizing that they're all the same thing. They all kind of come together to be part of the one thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, I find it so interesting and I know your story and listeners may already, but the, the fact that you had such a busy life and you were working in this high powered job and you were um, traveling a lot and you were doing kind of what you expected that everyone around you or, you know, thought or saw everyone around you was doing. And then for you, MS was quite a catalyst. It was, it, it, well, first of all, it forced me to slow down in a literal sense because of the vertigo. I couldn't keep up. Mm. Although I tried, Uh, I tried to push through all of it and that was definitely a mistake, but that's just how I, I dealt with everything. Mm. And once I finally had the diagnosis, I was able to take a step back and say, wait a minute, something has to change. And I started researching on how people live well with MS and reading stories of different people who were um, feeling well with MS. And that was very appealing to me. And of course this didn't happen the day I was diagnosed. There was some time there where I went through a lot of fear and grief and uncertainty. Mm. Uh, And then with support from my boss and my friends and my family, I was just really given that space and permission to kind of dig into 
what I thought I might be able to do for myself. And the thing that kept popping up in my research was stress and how damaging stress was for MS, people with other autoimmune conditions, and really everybody. Mm. And I thought, of course, like stress is part of life. And then I thought, what if I didn't have any stress? Or what if I could cut the stress that is under my control? Because certainly there's a lot that's out of my control, but I had certainly piled it on over the years. And I set out to eliminate as much stress as possible from my life and only one thing at a time. So in past me would be really excited to make a habit change and think if one habit change was good, I should make 10 at the same time and they should all happen in 21 days or less. And I'd wondered why I'd be so exhausted from trying to make all these changes. So this time I thought one at a time and we'll see how it goes. And I did that I mean, really, I still do it, but I think those initial probably three years where was where a lot of the foundational changes happened um, for me. And once I really looked back at all the changes I was making, the one common thread through all of them was simplicity. Mm. I was simplifying, I was reducing, I was removing so that I would have space to know what I wanted to add back in. And, and I, that was even probably something I didn't start thinking about right away. It was more like, how can I feel good? That's all mm. I wanted. And some of the things you looked, you changed your diet. It was one of the first things that you looked at changing. Yeah, it was the first thing I changed. And I mean, so much has changed since then in, in my own life and in terms of research and what's out there, but in 2006, the neurologist that I had really dismissed the idea that diet or exercise had anything to do with MS symptoms or Mm. relapses or disease progression, um, which is why I fired her shortly (laughs) after and found another doctor. I just love, I just want to pause there. I love that you say you fired her because I think something that I'm really coming to learn is that the people we work with our neurologists, our doctors, our therapists, our specialists, they're employed by us. And I think that's a key thing that people miss out on is that we have that control to fire people that we don't like and something that I often forget. Yeah. And I don't know if everybody has that, that privilege, Mm. you know, in some areas it's, you get your doctor and that's it. But I mean, we pay a wild amount for health insurance and medical care. So yes, that can happen. Unfortunately, I think what happens is when we're seeing these doctors for the first time, we're in a place of not feeling great. We're in a lot of fear. Mm. We're just so hopeful that they are the answer and that they're going to solve all of our problems. But if we're not paying attention, we're going to miss out because we're not working with a partner. And that's really Mm. what we need. We need a medical team, people who want to work with us, Um, whether they completely buy into what we think is, is true or real or not, at least they're willing to consider it. Mm. That has to happen. Um, And this particular neurologist that I fired that wasn't their first offense. I mean, (laughs) we started with them diagnosing me over the phone while I was at work um, asking me to come in and pick a drug based on the marketing kits. So Mm. just reading the marketing material and picking a drug and from someone who works in marketing, I was just 
outraged <laughs> that that should be a thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, all that to say, I, luckily I found someone else pretty quickly and he supported this idea of lifestyle changes to, to slow progression and relapses and things like that. So I experimented with all kinds of things. I um, did a raw diet for a little while. I was vegan for a bit. I was vegetarian for a bit. Uh, in the end, I mean, today, many years later, I don't consume animal products. I do eat some fish and fruits and vegetables and otherwise like little bits of things here and there, but try not to stress out about it because mm. that just adds more stress. So I want to enjoy my life but I'm just mindful of how I feel after eating certain things. And if there's something that's a real problem, I'll take it out for a bit. Mm. I think it, it's interesting. It seems as though, and obvious, obviously, but the thread of simplicity is obviously very strong. It's about simple whole foods. Good, simple whole foods is what you're choosing to eat. And it's kind of, it's like, you're like, everything I'm going to do in my life is simple and stress-free. Well, obviously that's the goal because you can't always be simple and stress-free, but that's the goal. Right. And look, I love to bake. I will go out to eat and not be overly concerned that everything mm. is completely whole, pure, organic. Uh, like I said, I really, I think if you're doing the right thing for the most part, then you have some flexibility, but in the beginning I needed it to be, I needed to be all in. That mm. was the only way I could learn what I wanted to include and what I didn't. And that went so far beyond food. I mean, in every area of my life, it, it kind of goes the same. Mm. Um, I think I'm quite similar in the way of like having that kind of busy, full life of doing things. And I'm also that kind of all or nothing. If I'm going to try something, I'm going to go all in to, to have a go. And I think from what you've said is you changed you you chose you chose to slowly change habits to the point where now you that the habit change is an easier thing because you've had so much time of learning how to change habits or introduce habits well it's true and the and the habits that i did put into motion because i did them so slowly really had a chance to take hold mm. and i had an opportunity to learn what part of those habits were helpful and which parts didn't really matter and why they were important and consider other things versus, you know, when you go all in quickly for a short amount of time, you know, it's just going to go away and then you're going to have to do it again later. Yeah. <laughs> we know this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if you look at your life almost, I feel as though, and I might be absolutely wrong in this, but there's kind of for you a, like a line in the sand. And for a lot of us after a diagnosis, like multiple sclerosis, there's a line in the sand of before the diagnosis and after the diagnosis. If you look back at your life now, is there any similarities? Oh, of course. I mean, I have the, the same daughter and the same yeah. husband. <laughs> so yeah. that's similar. Uh, and what's interesting is I haven't really changed. I've just come back to myself. Mm. So I feel like I strayed in so many different ways from what was important to me, what soothed me, what made me feel good in the name of life. And mm. really that was just such a disservice 
not only to me, but to everyone around me. And I think that happens to a lot of us, MS or not. And we don't often get that permission that we feel like we need or that wake up call or whatever Mm. it is to start over. Um, So, I mean, everything else is different. My career is different. Uh, My sleep habits are different. Everything, the Mm. things I own, what I owe, all of that has changed. Yeah. And I mean, what an incredible change for something as big as MS, something that like, uh, you know, a life-changing diagnosis to have such a profound impact on the life around you. And I think, like you said, most people without some kind of traumatic event or big diagnosis don't have the permission or don't even have the awareness to learn that much about themselves or ourselves. I think it really takes something like a big change, a big shift that we don't have control over to really get to know who we are. Yeah. I mean, it feels, or it can feel really self-indulgent to go down that route. So Mm. we avoid it by making our schedules busier or finding other ways to numb out and just avoid that line of questioning. Mm. I'd love to talk to you about your book, Soulful Simplicity. It's, I've um, recently just read it and it was beautiful. And while I feel like we live quite a slow, simple, you know, it's kind of stuff free house, um, I still found myself throwing things out after reading it. <laughs> I was like, right, we don't need that tea set and we don't need that whatever. Things have been sitting there. Um, And it really does create the space. And I think that's what a lot of us need is that space to allow ourselves to re-figure out who we are. Yeah, almost like a reset. Mm. And I think we forget how distracting the things around us are. Whether Mm. it's distracting in a good way or a bad way, it's still distracting. So it's so easy for our mind to go over here or go to that, you know, that tea set or to this thing on Instagram or that thing on TikTok or whatever. We're always like bebopping around. Mm. But when we're still and we don't have a lot of distractions, that's when we can start to really listen to ourselves and with any luck, start to trust ourselves. Mm. So you're like, I, like you said, your career is completely different now from Complicate. before. Yeah. Polar opposite of what I used to do. <laughs> Could you talk to us a bit about what it is that you're doing now as your career? Sure. So in 2010, I started my website, bemorewithless.com. And I didn't know very much about technology or how to do things. Honestly, I still don't like a lot of this stuff escapes me and it's just a wing and a prayer that (laughs) anything ever works out and a a great team now for help. But in the beginning, I did it all myself and I started writing about my simplicity journey and the things that I was noticing and that were helpful and did it with the intention of growing a business. Mm. I didn't have a perfect vision of what the business would be and how it would evolve. I still don't. I think things change so rapidly that you have to, you can have a little bit of a plan, but I mean, anything outside of five years makes no sense to me um, Mm. just because of the nature of the internet and content and information. So for me, it's just been growing with, I started 
by doing some eBooks and uh, courses, and then did some traditionally published books. And now I have a membership program and a podcast. So all um, simplicity based for the most part, uh, material, which I'm, I'd love to write about. Like I love what I do so much that it's been a challenge and one that I welcome to work less mm. because I would like to work more. I really <laughs> like doing it, but I also know that the less I work, the better my work is. Mm. And the more I have to bring in because I'm actually living versus just writing and churning out content. Mm. I was going to ask you that because given the fast paced world of the internet, how do you keep your work slow and simple? Mm. So sometimes I just leave it alone and don't like, for instance, I I might be posting regularly on Instagram. And then at some point I just feel like, "Mm, I can't do this anymore. And I just Mm. stop for a bit and then I go back to it. But recently I have been learning how to plan. I know it's been, I've been doing this for (laughs) 12 years or something like that. And I'm just starting to plan or be a better planner in terms of work. So um, two days a month, I plan almost everything that is Mm. coming out and I may not have it all completely written out, but like right now I have a month's worth of Instagram posts sitting in the queue. So I don't have to give it any thought at all. And, and that way I can work less day to day. So I really try to limit those hours, like pull back to three or four hours a day versus working all day long. And one of the ways I do that is by giving myself a time limit. So if I have a whole day to write an article, I will take the entire day. Mm. I love to do that and just kind of linger along. However, if I say you have an hour to do this, I can do it in the hour or two hours or whatever the timeline is. Mm. So it's just really noticing and not overscheduling my, myself. I like to have lots of days a week with no appointments at all. Mm. That's something that is interesting for someone who lives with multiple sclerosis is I find that I have a, a medical based appointment and a lot of mine is around physiotherapy and, and, keeping mobile is I have an appointment nearly every day. So do you find, you know, do you use those kind of medical supports or do you find that they're not necessary for your? They're not necessary. In fact, so when I say appointments and I I see what you're saying, I was thinking Mm. more along the lines of business Business. appointments and uh, yeah. So I do have doctor's appointments that come up of course. And Mm. I um, have, workout classes that I go to, but I haven't had a relapse since, um, 2008. Mm, Yeah. Wow. And my symptoms are mild and questionable. Like, is this even MS Mm. when they happen? And that's a combination of lifestyle changes and traditional treatment. It, it, they go hand in hand for Mm. me. Yeah. I think it's really key. Um, And I don't tend to ask a lot of people about their medications unless they're offering it. But I think for me and what I've heard a lot of is it's really about using medical therapies. So medication, whatever, you know, you can plan with your neurologist and your medical team working together to find the best fit for you. 
and lifestyle changes, diet, keep, you know, slowing down. A lot of it is all about um, stress, stress-free. So really working with the both of those. Yeah. And I mean, I'm happy to talk about my, the, the treatment side of it, if it's interesting, but mm. I also understand that it's such a personal choice. Like mm. some people do fine without any treatment at all. And some people do well on some treatments and not well on others. And I, I just always think it's something you have to keep coming back to yourself. Like, is this the right thing for now? Will it change? Possibly. Mm. Uh, I, I definitely struggled with some treatments and then have one now that works really well for me and will probably stick with it for as long as it's healthy. Mm. For yeah. Me. Yeah, for sure. And I think like you just said, is it really is so personal, which I suppose is the reason why, you know, if someone says they're on medication, that's great for, to be able to share. But I think like you said, the, the choices of medication, are, there's so many now and it is really so personal and someone might love something and it works so well for them. And then someone else might have one dose of it and it just not be the great fit. But I think like you've said is the lifestyle change is so key. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, like how we feel about ourselves and having this disease and the meds we may take and how we react to them. It's like, it's even though a diet changed helped me and simplifying helped me, I not for one second think that I got this because of these other things. I think mm. they exacerbated it for sure. But I, I always think like, I'm not responsible for this. I'm responsible to it. Mm. And that makes a big difference for me. So I don't blame my body. I don't blame my brain. I don't have long conversations with myself about how bad I feel about having MS um, because that would mean that every person out there with any kind of condition is like took that on themselves and they're to blame for it. And that's a horrible thing to think. I mean, it's mm. just not true. And once we release that, any thought of that, it's so great because then you can be grateful for what you are capable of. And I remember in the very beginning of, um, of my diagnosis, I was going to some meetings and listening to patient advocates talk about their journeys and their drug treatments. And I remember this one woman was taking a, an injectable. And prior to that, she had been in a really bad relapse. She had no feeling in her legs. And she was talking about, you know, now many months later, she's like, I, when I feel the pain of that injectable, I'm so grateful that I can feel it. And I think about all the times I would just be crying, like trying different injectables. And <laughs> I would think about her and I'm like, okay, there, there's some goodness here. So mm. yes, painful. Um, yes, side effects, but what, to what end and, and what can I find? What can I be grateful about mm. in that? Going back to the fact, so you, you're, when you were diagnosed, you, like you said, you were training to do a fundraising ride and your boss had MS and was in a wheelchair. Did that have any impact on your initial, like when you were told that you had MS and having that as kind of the, the, what you knew about MS? 
Yeah. I was terrified. He was my face of MS. And I thought, this is it. Mm. That's it for me. And I mean, there were people recommending to me that I um, look for a like one level home that I start really considering the future and what that might look like because that first neurologist was pretty adamant that I would decline. Mm. And it wasn't a matter of, of if or not, but how quickly. Mm. So yeah, I had a lot of fear around that for sure. Um, But luckily there's so much information about out there and so many different stories that I was able to find hope in those other stories, which I think it's so powerful that you share this because Mm. all of these different stories and outcomes matter. Mm. And I think, uh, I mean, I agree because when I was first diagnosed, I also was in the process of applying for a job to run an outdoor education center. So I was obviously going and going to be living in the bush and doing a lot of walking. Um, but all I knew or had heard of was we in Australia have a fundraiser um, called the MS Readathon for primary school kids. And everything that is associated with that is kids, people in wheelchairs. Um, so that's what, you know, the main reason that I wanted to start that is that, you know, even the people who I've spoken to who are in wheelchairs, you know, I, I recently spoke with and shared an episode of a man who's doing the, um, his Britain's um, disabled strongman. So he pulls, he's in his wheelchair, but pulls a bus behind him. Like, you wow. know, even if you're in a, in a wheelchair, which um, I'm in the process of ordering one, there's still a huge amount of opportunities and things that we can do. It's not giving up to be in a wheelchair, but also most of, of the, most of the people I've spoken to are still active and moving around and walking and people would never even be able to look at them and have MS. So I think it's super important to be able to share the whole range of things rather than like we mostly get is that kind of end of the line wheelchair, if that makes sense. Sure. Although I didn't really see that in my boss. Mm, I just saw true. that for me, I mean, he was a lot older than I was. And to, to make that comparison at the time for me, it was just a big leap. Mm. Um, but also that and not to say everybody with a great attitude does well with MS and everybody with a bad attitude doesn't. However, it, it does make a difference. And I'm mm-hmm. not a, like a sunshine and rainbow person, so like <laughs> running around being positive and optimistic all the time, but having, having the idea that I could improve was helpful to me. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it's not about sunshine and rainbows. It's about having something that you can believe, you know, a story out there that you can say, you know, that it might be possible for me. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I love your story and I really want people to check out your books um, so you've got your website, Be More With Less, and people can find every everything to access you and your courses and eBooks and published books on the website. They can. Yeah. Yes. And your podcast, everything is um, find, can be found on there. Yeah. My daughter and I have a podcast called Soul and Wit. It's so much fun for me. I don't care if anybody ever listens. <laughs> <because> I just <laughs> love hanging out with her and having our chats. Yeah. Um, but I would... I think that P 
people will find joy there. Yeah. And I, I do really think that, um, you know, getting on that simplicity journey, even if it's just in your mind, whether or not you're getting rid of your stuff, it's about giving yourself some space, mental space, physical space to kind of get your head around what we're going through and who you are in amongst this new diagnosis. Yeah. And maybe it's temporary. Maybe a a simplicity journey is short and it's like, while I am dealing with this new diagnosis or this change in my condition, I have to clear the decks Mm. so that I can give this the attention it deserves. That's so interesting. I've never heard of anyone talking about it being a temporary shift because I think so many people, once they get started into it, love it so much that it becomes a long-term thing. Well, maybe, and, <laughs> and that is usually the case, but why not? I mean, I think we should approach all of this as temporary, as an experiment mm. or as a challenge, because that's, that gives us the opportunity to learn without having the stress of this permanent change. Mm. One thing that you have put out to the world that I have loved so much is your project 333. Um, And one of the reasons I love it so much, um, apart from, you know, so there's so many things, but one of the reasons I love it so much is the, the space it gives my brain to choose what I'm wearing. I love every item of clothing I have. And while I don't have 33, um, I, it just, it really does create simplicity. Everything works together. I love everything. And I know that I can grab the couple of items and I'm going to be happy with my wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, the last thing I want to think about is what I'm going to wear. Mm-hmm. I, there are too many more important things for me. And I know some people really enjoy that and that's fantastic. But for the most part, I think we just want to wear something that is comfortable and that we feel good in mm. and that's not complicated. Mm. Maybe mm. finding it initially, figuring out what those items are mm. can, can take a little bit of time, but once you know, then it just alleviates so much stress and pressure. Mm. I think the pressure of, of um, expecting what others expect of you is a big part. It's like, I don't care what other people think of my clothes. I like them is a big shift. Yes. Wow. That will simplify your life immediately. Stop caring about what other people think. And what's so fun about a challenge like project 333 is you realize that most people don't notice that you're even doing it. And that happened for me. And I did it while I was still working uh, full time. And I thought, oh my gosh, I thought everybody was paying attention to me so much more closely if they don't notice this, why do I care what they think about these other lifestyle decisions Mm. I'm making? And so now I don't. (laughs) I've got a few questions I love to ask everyone at the end of the episode. Um, The first one is, do you feel as though you have come to accept your diagnosis and what helped with that? Oh, I don't know if I ever didn't accept it. I think I was pretty accepting of it right from the get-go. And and perhaps just the time it took to get there was helpful. Mm. It really answered a lot of questions for me. Uh, it didn't mean I liked it, but I <laughs> for sure accepted it. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think like you is so many people are looking for answers so that when they get an answer, they're like, great. 
you know, got it. Well, then you can do something with the information, but when you have no information, that's when I think it's even more challenging. Mm, Yeah. Um, What is one thing you wish you'd known early on? I have to think about this for a second. I I wish I had known that I was going to be okay. Mm. I guess that would have been wonderful to know in the beginning, regardless of how the disease progressed and where in my case, it really didn't. But to have known that would have (laughs) alleviated a lot of pressure. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, by telling your story and by sharing stories is we're giving people the possibility that it's going to be okay. Yeah, Mm. I agree. What is the best thing to have happened to you because of your MS? Oh, the best thing that happened was everything. (laughs) Really, such a good answer. The best yeah. thing that happened was everything. I was able to come back to myself to gain confidence in in making changes. I trust myself now. I am my own advocate, not only in the doctor's office but in my life, and mm. that's something that I don't think I was doing a great job of before. Mm. That um, that real life shift. Mm. And my last question is, what is something you would tell people to make MS more understood? To make MS more understood? Well, I I mean, I always think about it as when I start thinking about it, like what's really going on inside your body. And this isn't very scientific the way that I would explain it, but it was always really helpful, helpful to me to understand that the what's happening is that your nerves are coated with myelin, which is very similar to any cord, like electrical cord that has that plastic coating on it. And if that plastic coating comes off, the wires are exposed. And just like that, your nerves are exposed. And that's why there is unexplained short circuiting, whether it be, you know, mobility issues or, um, heat sensitivity or depression. It, it's so unknown and everyone has such a different reaction and set of their own symptoms that we can't compare ourselves to each other in terms of symptoms, mm. but we can support each other in terms of how we're living. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a great explanation because everyone's got that phone cord that has the broken plastic covering around right. it. So it's always on their, their Apple uh, laptop, that yeah. cord that breaks right at, the, at yeah, the end. Oh my goodness. I've got a phone cord sitting right here. Look, I don't know. Can you see? Oh yeah. I've, it's yes. like classic, classic <laughs> MS cord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Courtney, for taking the time to chat with us and share your story on the MS Understood podcast today. I've really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the invite.